this, it's interesting. So when I shared with you some stuff about sermon preparation and what God does with me uh, several weeks ago, and I am always interested in how everything works together because it's not until after everything goes through that I start seeing what God is doing. And I know that a lot of pastors right now are preaching um, in prophecy in the book of Revelation and focusing on apocalyptic literature. Um, and so, um, but I haven't been called to do those things. And one of, the things I, one of the things I shared with you several weeks ago is I try not to speak on anything that I don't feel like God has led me to because then I'm speaking on what I want to speak on and I'm not trying to do what God says. And then that always messes up. Um, in fact, I had a teenager one time. I, t I would teach the teens how to deliver sermons and how to teach. And so I had a teen one time, and I asked them to, to, to speak to our youth during our outreach for, during Halloween. We called it Neowalla. And so I asked her to, to speak, and she felt pressure, not from me and not from God, but she just felt pressure that she had to speak on something about fear. So she gave this thing on fear, and it was a disaster. She spoke, and it was a disaster. And afterwards, I asked her, how would you feel that it went? She said, well, it was horrible. And I said, you're not wrong. <laughs> right? And she said, I asked, why do you think that is? And she said, because I didn't listen to what God wanted me to speak on. But I felt like because it was Halloween, I had to speak on something like fear. I said, I would rather you speak on something that God calls you to because that's what people need to hear. Because he knows us. He knows what we need to hear and not what we think we need to hear. Right? And so, so we're going to be going into a series called Beyond. Um, and all it means is there are things in our lives that we need to get beyond. Right? And this is rooted in scriptures like this. So Galatians 2.20 Paul states, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Right there we see Paul saying, look, I have been crucified. This is a past tense thing, right? I've been crucified with Christ, and now, he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So that is, I'm beyond this, right? I have been crucified. So there's this distinction. There's an old me and there's a new me, right? And then later on, in, or earlier in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So there is a distinction between who we were before Christ, right, and who we are afterwards. And so as, if we have put our trust into Jesus as our Savior, we need to be living as new creation, right? The old has gone. The new has come. But at the same time, there is this understanding that there is also a future state. Okay, so Romans 8.23, Paul says this in Romans 8.23. He says, not only so, but we are... We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so he's looking forward. So he's saying there's a past. That was our old self. There's a new creation that's right now. But there's a future thing that's going to be happening that's going to be the, the whole, the totalitarian, total, you know, the total part of it. Um, in the morning, my tongue says no. Um, and so... 
so this understanding that God calls us beyond, right? He calls us to beyond things. So the root of all this is we need to be beyond sin. But as we're doing that, then the scriptures use this word sanctifying, you know, the cleaning up, the, the bringing us closer to God, however you want to have that definition. Um, as we're being drawn closer to God, we are experiencing this new creation more and more. And it's at the end when we die and we meet Jesus, you know, um, or where someday Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. Um, that's when we experience this, to- this total regeneration. This complete sin is completely eradicated from our lives. We get new bodies. Everything's great. Okay? But right now, we are to live as the new creation in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why um, Paul in Romans 8.23 says, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We can know that we are saved. Why? Because the Spirit indwells us. And so this whole understanding of moving beyond certain things, right? And so a lot of what we're going to talk about is not new, all right? I I hope it's not new if you've been in the church any length of time. Um, But I'm always surprised that when we talk here, how many people say, well, that's something I've never heard. Well, that's in the Bible, so, you know, so read it. Um, But... So we're going to be doing this and we're going to focus on the first thing that we're going to be focusing on because of everything that's going on in our world. Now you have to understand, all this that we're talking about is planned out several months ago. All right? So I have no idea what's going on in the future. All right? God does not reveal squat to me. It would be really nice because I can make a lot of money on the stock market, especially with GameStop right now. But that's, that's a different subject. So anyways, God only gives me enough to get me into trouble with with people okay so we're talking about tomorrow all right we're talking about what is, where is our trust right for tomorrow and so we're going to be looking at two passages today one is luke chapter 12 and we're going to look at verses 16 through 21 so luke chapter 12 verses 16 through 21 and then we're going to look at first kings chapter 17 and starting in verse 7 going through the rest of the chapter. So that's a, that's a big portion that we're going to be looking at. But the reason we're looking at these two passages is because they, they're opposites of each other, of what, what it looks like about trusting in tomorrow. All right? So let's get going. And we're going to start with Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And as we're jumping in, we're jumping into a situation where a, where a person... They shout out to Jesus about, basically, I need you to say something so I can use it as fodder against my sibling. Okay, How many times have you or your children have ever said, well, mom and dad said this? And they use that to manipulate their... My kids do that all the time. I know. There's only sometimes I preach, I, I told her, I only preach, I always only bring her up when she's in here. So that, bye. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so no, but there's a situation right here where someone says, Jesus, tell my brother, tell my sibling, look, give me the, my inheritance. And he says to the person, 
He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he tells him this, and then he goes into a parable, and we're going to look at the parable, okay? So this parable is entitled, The Rich, young, uh, the rich Fool, different than The Rich Young Man, okay? But here's the parable. It says, and he, talking about Jesus, and Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a, gr- a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, stop right there. So you have this parable of this guy, and he's already wealthy. Okay, He's already a wealthy person. and But... This particular year, he has a huge increase in his crop production, right? Um, Those of you that are farmers, it's a really good year, right? It's called a bumper, right? A bumper crop, right? And so it's a year where it's just really good. So this is so good that he says, it will sustain me for years. In fact, it's so good that he has to tear down his old storage systems, right? And build new ones because he has so much. And he looks at it and goes, I'm set. I'm good to go. I don't have to do anything. And so he says things like, I can eat, drink, and be married. I have plenty of things laid up for years. And so it has that. But then Jesus gives a twist. Sorry, in verse 20. Jesus gives this twist of, but God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how... And now Jesus is speaking outside of the parable. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. And so Jesus gives this parable of this situation where you have this guy who gets into mega wealth and he says, I'm set because my, I can, I've set my future. My future is set and I don't have to do anything. I am good. And Jesus says, but he's not. Because his life ends that day. And so his trust in the future is looked at by Jesus as worthless. Because he says, you should be rich towards God, not the things of this world. And so we have a farmer who puts his trust into the things of this world and he loses out on eternity. And we're going to juxtapose that with 1 Kings. The reason why is because in 1 Kings, there's actually a situation that, in a sense, is what's going on right now. There's a sense of dread. There's a sense of calamity. And so it's a perfect juxtaposition of this parable that it says everything's good. So in 1 Kings, we have a situation. We're going to have the prophet Elijah, and it's a situation where Elijah says to the king, King Ahab, he says this in verse 1 of 17, he says, neither dew nor rain is coming in the next few years. And so Ahab is so wicked, and he marries this girl Jezebel from a different nation, and she's bringing in the idols, and he's worshiping the idols, and Elijah is is saying this is not right, right? Get back to God. And now God says there will be no more water for the next few years and the reason this is so important and it actually goes into the story that's coming is 
What's going on is these people, these Hebrew people, instead of worshiping the Hebrew God, they're worshiping the God Baal, or Baal, however you want to say it. And that God is the God of thunder and rain. And so this shutting off of the rain is God saying, I have power over this false God. And so Elijah says this, but Elijah is not immune to the drought. And that's where we pick it up in verse 7. Okay? So in verse 7, this is a long passage, but we need to hear the whole story. Okay, here we go. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and he called, Anne, bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Do you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with, by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now there's a lot going on in this passage. First, this, so Elijah is in the land of Israel right now, at the, at the beginning. And it dries up, right? In keeping with what God had already said about no rain, no dew on the land. But then God says, okay, you, Elijah, you go to Zarephath. Zarephath is not in Israel. It's back where that, okay, so King Ahab marries Jezebel. Jezebel comes from this land of Zarephath. Okay? And that's where God sends Elijah. Sends him back into the very heart of the worship of Baal. Okay? 
So he sends him back here, and here's this widow. She's putting, picking up sticks, and she is doing this for a specific reason. Anyone remember what that reason was? Make a fire so she could make some food so she can die. It's her last meal. Think about the, the heartache that's going on. She has, no, she has no faith here. No trust in anything. Right? She's at the point of death. And there's a huge thing. She doesn't even have a God she can worship at this point. Because Baal here, he, he is the God of thunder and rain. We already said that, right? But when there's droughts, there's this belief that he either dies, you know, this, this kind of death, or that he's slumbering. And so later on, when you get to chapter 19, that's what the, if you know that story, um, he, Elijah puts out this test against these other prophets, and he starts mocking them, saying, maybe your, your God's asleep somewhere. In fact, if you actually go with some of the Hebrew, it actually says he's on the potty. Maybe he's on the potty, and he just can't hear you, so speak louder. Okay, so... That's what's going on. So she doesn't even have someone she can turn to, even a God that she can go, I, I need you because her God's dead. And so here comes Elijah. And what does Elijah say? Give me some food. Now, if you're at a point where you don't have anything and you're ready to die and someone asks you something, Forget you, right? This is my last meal, and I'm going to make the best of it, get, get lost. But instead, she gives him water, which that's a, a resource that's in high demand at this point. And she does what he says. But you can tell that she, she's just barely hanging on here because she says things like this, as, as surely as the Lord your God lives, She's making a distinction between her God and Elijah's lives. So your God must be living because my God is not. And so she goes through all that and she does this and it happens as Elijah says. But then we get into the second part of the story and her son dies and she gets angry at Elijah. Because maybe in her thought, I've helped this guy, right? I'm deserving of everything that's coming. But I just turn my back on my own God. And maybe now he's upset because I helped this guy. And so she, she says this, what do you have against me, man of God? In verse 18, did you come to remind me of my son and, and kill my son? Are you here just to mock me? Are you here just to bring me deeper? In? So that, because at the beginning, she's willing to die with her son. But now she's not going to die, but now here her son is dying. It's almost worse. Because, you know, there's a, a saying that a parent should never watch their child die. Right? And so here's that very thing happening. And she is, even though she's been sustained this whole time, she, still has, she doesn't have faith in God yet. But after this, and Elijah actually, it says he cries out. This isn't, um, God's got this. Elijah's even like, God, what's going on? And God 
resurrects the kid back to this life, not to the life eternal, but back to this life. And then at the end, the woman says, now I know. Now I know. All that other stuff that preceded this was, okay, it's happening, but there's no real trust there. But now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. And what's interesting, so if you take this girl, this widow, and you take the farmer, you have two very different things going on, right? You have the farmer who's at the beginning is very optimistic, very excited, very everything's going to be okay. And then you have the widow, and she is, nothing is going to be okay. Everything is falling apart here. But the farmer puts his trust into his stuff, and God says, good job, you're dead. But with the widow, it's she has to trust day to day for, for that jug. And then it comes to a point where I've trusted, right? Why is my son dying? And Elijah says, give him to me. That's a trust act, right? She could have hold on and said, no, I don't want you. You're going to desecrate my son. You're going to mess it up. You're going to bring further problems in. But no, she says, okay. The son is revived. And then she says, now I know it's true. At the end of the farmer's parable, you get this guy that he doesn't put his trust in, in God and he loses everything. You have this woman that doesn't put her trust at the beginning, but ends up putting her trust at the end, and now she has everything. Because you trust in the word of the Lord. And so this is what we're kind of talking about here, this idea that we are to trust God, right? We are to not trust our things that will get us in. So I know, and Marika and I have been talking about doing retirement stuff, right? Because in the future, you want that. You want retirement. You want things to be done because there will come a point um, where, you know, you can't work, right? Or you don't want to work, <laughs> right? But that's kind of always there, right? And in fact, I, uh, growing up, I used to have this thought in my mind. My parents are really actually rich. They're just trying to teach me a lesson. And once I learn that lesson, they're going to reveal that we are just multimillionaires. You know, I, apparently I have not learned that lesson yet because they haven't revealed that. But it's easy to trust in things, right? It's easy to trust in things because it makes things easier, right? It may, I mean... I know a lot, because I've heard a lot of your stories, um, your life stories, and I know that you have gone through really hard times. Um, one of the stories that um, is from one of our, it used to be an elder, um, he still attends, um, he told me about his story about going through during the Depression, and the reason why he doesn't like coffee is because when, during the Depression, that's what they would give him but it was mud and he hated it every you know and it was this this constant struggle to survive and now he never drinks coffee he's an old farmer old rancher he hates coffee which i think is an oxymoron <laughs> um, but you know it's 
it's an understanding when you have and you don't want to struggle to trust in those things. And yet God says, what is better, to trust for eternal things or to trust in finite things? We can trust in things like, like our government system, right? We can put our trust into that. Well, how far does that get us? Not very far. And one of the things, so I remember several months ago when, all, you know, after the election, I was having a conversation um, with a, um, a young man, and we were talking about it, and he said, um, when it gets to the courts, everything will be worked out. And I told him, I don't trust the courts. And I'm not telling you I told you so. <laughs> but the reality is we can't trust in the things of this world because they will fail. And we're seeing that. We're seeing how the things of this world will fail. I, I love, if you haven't been following the whole GameStop thing, okay, that is something that I think is hilarious. Because the whole thing behind that is you have this, these very rich people who play this game of trying to, they, they borrow and then they want to sell low, right? And they make money in all this. And this is how they make their millions of dollars. And then you get a bunch of people that just got a stimulus check and they just mess around with these stocks. And they just send those stocks up to like $300 or more, right? And all these people, what, they lose like billions of dollars. Like literally they've lost billions of dollars doing this. But they put their trust in those things to, to do right. And the reality is we can't trust in the things of this world. Instead, what God calls us to is a daily trust. And it's a daily, I'm here, trust in me. I'm here for today. What's tomorrow? Hey, don't worry about tomorrow. I'm here for today. And you might be thinking, well, why aren't we talking about in Matthew where it talks about worrying all these things? Because I'm actually doing a series on Matthew this summer, and I'm not going to overlap those things because I don't want to give too much away in Matthew. But this is the, the reality. God has tomorrow. He already knows it. He already is, he sees it. It's, he's got it. There's no, nothing about tomorrow that's out of his control. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> So tomorrow is in God's hands. Today is what we have been given. And it's that jar. It's that jug. It's good for today. It's good for today. And so we need to start getting into that mindset. What do you give me today, God? It's good for today. I, I was actually in my prayer time this morning. I, I said something like, God, I'm glad you got tomorrow because today I'm going to need your help. I'm glad that you got tomorrow because today is when I need you right now. And so I don't have to worry about tomorrow. And that's funny because this week I get a call from Dan who's sick. And he's like, I need you to drive on Friday. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then I ask him, well, what about Saturday? You have to do the QIA. He goes, I need you to, <laughs> to do the QIA. And so... My week, I, I thought, man, I'm getting everything done. This is a really nice, easy week. And then things were added. And that's all right, because God knew about it. And he gave me the grace for today. 
And that's the thing is, where are we going to go? And then at the end of the stories, you have Jesus making it clear that this guy trusted in the things of this world. But he says, what's better? It's to have riches in God. To trust God because that's eternal stuff. And what's this woman do? At the very end, she says, now I know. Now I know the Word is true. And that's what we need to get. We need, as God's people, we need to get to this point where we're saying, I trust in God. And the thing is, is we can make plans. Plans are not bad. Okay? In fact, in Acts 16, Paul makes some plans. He says, I'm going to go to Galatia. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do these things. But then, the, the thing that we need to understand is, are we willing for those plans to change? That's, that's the crux. If my plans change tomorrow, did I really trust in God for it? Or am I trusting in what I was planning? In the things of this world? And in Acts 16, Paul goes through this thing. He was planning to go to Galatia, but the Holy Spirit said no, and instead he sent him to Macedonia. And so, it's okay to make plans, but tomorrow, if those plans change, are we, willing, are we ready and willing to have them change? And if we're not, we can, that is that moment where you can say, ah, I really didn't trust God. I was trusting in my plans and not where He was leading. And so that's where we need to come. So my challenge for you this week is very simple. It's, it's this idea of just stopping in the morning and make a simple prayer. God, thank you for today. I trust you for tomorrow. Something along those lines. I put one in here. Um, it's this. God, help me trust you for my today and tomorrow, not in the things of this world. It's just a simple prayer. You don't have to say that prayer. It's not about the words. It's about what are you talking to God about. Are you, tr- are you coming before God and say, God, I trust. Help me to trust. Okay? I like Isaiah. There's a, um, uh, it's in your um, things. It's Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. It's the first part. Um, I jumped ahead and Robert's probably like, where are we now? Um, so it's Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. And this is what it says. It says, you, and it's talking to God in the first part. You, God, will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord Himself, is the rock eternal. I just really like that. that trust in the Lord because He is the rock eternal. You know, And so that's what we need to do. If we come before God every day, God, help me trust You for today and leave tomorrow in Your hands. Because who knows what tomorrow is going to bring? Who knows what... Um, what calamity is next? You know, maybe there will be a civil war tomorrow. Maybe there will be um, an increase in COVID you know, cases. Maybe, maybe there will be more presidential edicts. You know, who knows what tomorrow is going to bring? That's God's department. God, you've given me today. What do I need to do? And tomorrow when I get there, help me there as well. All right? Because that's who we are called to do. Think about this. If we, if we as the people of God trusted God for tomorrow and we followed Him today, 
how much of a shining example would that be before people who are all worried about tomorrow? What is tomorrow going to happen? Well, I don't have to worry about tomorrow because God's got that and He's leading me right now. So I'm good. No, no virus, no government, no nothing can topple that if we put our trust in God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You. Ah, oh, Lord, I thank You because in Your Word, You give us future things. Jesus, You gave us the insight in, in what, Matthew 24. You give us insight in, the, in Revelation and Daniel and all over Scripture. I thank You for that. I thank You because You, you give us that so that we won't be troubled. I thank You that You give us peace because we can trust in You because You see all those things. You know what's going to happen. You have all this planned out. And Lord, we can trust You for tomorrow. Lord, help us do that. Like that, that man that had faith, but then he asked for more faith. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to trust You, to deepen our trust of You today. That if we're going to lunch and those plans change, that we would be lock in step with where You would have us go because someone may be there that needs to hear that we trust in You. So Lord, guide our steps. Direct us as You will lead us so that we can we can be the shining example to the people around us that you reign, that you are the rock eternal. So Lord, I thank you and I praise you that we're able to even come before you. And it's nothing that we have done, it's everything you have done by, your, by the, the work of Jesus, which we're going to talk about right now as we go into communion. Lord, help us to draw closer to you right now through this time of, of worship that we give back to you. So Lord, thank you. In your son's name I pray, amen. And if I could have the guys come up, we're going to do um, communion.